The only way you are going to make money in crypto if you are more active than just a passive Bitcoin and Ethereum buyer is you buy when everyone is scared, but you have to know what you're buying. If you don't know what you're buying, you're gambling. The incentive of the global financial system is for asset prices to go up. If it goes down, all the banks that have loans are going to be in big trouble. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven of Overtime with Nav. Very excited. I think it's going to be a very special episode today. Uh, going to continue to bring as much value as we can to our audience here. I'm your host, once again, Navid Rahimian, CPA. My next guest here, I'm going to get right into it. My very good friend, Brandon Halavi, serial entrepreneur focusing on the within the asset management space. A space that we kind of both speak speak a little each other of each other's language, and so I'm super excited to kind of just really dive in here, Brandon, and uh, really get to kind of some current events, some things that are happening. For those who don't know, Brandon focuses on a series of asset classes, which is very unique. You know, most asset managers that I know uh, have you know a particular asset class that they focus on and they own in on, but Brandon is uh, given his experience has been able to kind of get a whole array of experience within different asset classes, including real estate, multifamily, as well as crypto. So Brandon, I didn't do your introduction as much justice, I'm sure. So, I mean, to our audience, uh, can you give us a you know quick little thing about what you're focused on these days? Uh, focus on a variety of different things. Uh, it, it changes by the day. Okay. Uh, as every serial entrepreneur would would when respond with, <laughs> right? But mostly the top three is focusing on uh, real estate, crypto, like you mentioned, and other kind of SaaS businesses that are generating kind of that kind of revenue. Got it. Um. So so just kind of diving into it as it relates to as it relates to crypto, uh, Brandon. Talk to me a little bit about. You know, how you kind of got into it? Because I know that your foundation was in real estate, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's a big change uh, to kind of go, hey, you know, I'm going all in into crypto, how to measure and analyze crypto and and, and that in that investment space, especially folks that are so used to real estate, a hard asset. How did that, how was that journey for you? And, and, and what is it looking like right now? Uh, I'm just, I'm just very curious. I think we have a very unique opportunity to kind of hear from you because again, you focus on real estate, but at the same time, you have this plethora of knowledge in, in crypto as well. And I, I just want your perspective and your journey on that. Right. So I, how I got into crypto is actually a pretty interesting story. So actually originally the first time I ever bought Bitcoin was back in 2015. Okay. Back in uh, a college dorm, my friends and I were just trading or gambling uh, for a few hundred bucks and they were buying Bitcoin at the time for like 400 bucks, uh, selling it at 500. This is back in 2015. Uh, one of my buddies, he actually bought two Bitcoin at 600 and sold it at 400 at a loss. <laughs> okay. Wow. Which would have been probably 60 grand right now. Right. Okay. What, what is Bitcoin now right now? Bitcoin's a little over 29,000. 29. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I was never really interested in it because you know, you just buy Bitcoin and you're like, well, what do I do now? Right. Uh, there was no other like kind of financial incentive for me other than just trading it to make money. When I, when I seriously got into it was back in 2020, when 
you saw kind of like a plethora of different applications start being not only developed, but actually implemented into, into the crypto ecosystem. So like, for example, like if you've heard of like terms like decentralized finance and defined stuff, like not to get too boring, but like those were the things that really got me into it. And obviously when, you know, when things are pumping, everyone gets in, uh, I just got into it and it was a great ride. Got out at the right time, got, went back in at the right time, just having a lot of discipline, uh, and just knowing the game. Right. And to know what you're doing. Right. And so do you, I mean, how does that really come? I mean, is it, has it been just, you know, since 2015, you just staying close to it? Uh, you know, what is it, what is it that you're focused on? Are you following anything that you could share to our audience that keeps you, you know, on time? What's your process? Yeah. Like. Things are really messed up. Like it's been since last year. Well, what happened was is that you had just like a bunch of money come in in 2020 and 2021. So things just kind of went AWOL and just kind of, you know, hit the fan in a good way and just exploded in, in all directions. Everyone was in, their mom was getting in. Right. But unfortunately, when you have a lot of financial incentive, you have a lot of bad actors playing. And when interest rates rose and kind of you saw who was swimming naked when the tide went out, mm. uh, you know, a lot of people got screwed over, right? You had a lot of these like Ponzi's and frauds and things. And it just kind of showed me that this is a huge casino. Like there is, there's definitely underlying technology, but like the fact that because there's so much financial incentive, like this was a casino in, in many regards. So yeah, I don't think it's going to continue to be so in the long run, but definitely in the short run, like that's, that's where we're at. So, I mean, is it very vague to say that, that you're long run, very bullish on crypto? Absolutely. It's too vague. Or is or are you? Oh, it's not really. You are absolutely okay. So, so I mean, how do you generally invest? Is it through particular coins? Do you invest in ter- particular port- portfolio companies, or how do you? Right. So, like, so my investment strategy is the not the optimal one, sure, but it's the probably the one that you have the most edge, which is having a lot of discipline and being able to take the swings. Okay. Uh, I mean, like I was taking like seven figure swings, like at one point in 2021, like it was just, it was absolutely nuts right. what's going on. But I mean, you got to have the personality for it. Some people can't stomach it, right? Like imagine you're up like a million bucks and then the next day, you know, half a million is gone because you're, oh, I should have sold here and I should have done that. You know, hindsight is always 2020. But the reality is just kind of knowing exactly uh, how the market fluctuates, who the buyers and sellers are why things go up and why things go down. A lot of people don't know that. It's very interesting. A lot of people will not will never know exactly uh, why things go up. They just assume that it's just a number on the screen. It's not a number on the screen. People are buying and active. People are actively buying and selling these assets. Right, right. And so, and so I guess maybe focusing on one recent event, um, what was the last big swing in, in, the, in the major crypto categories? Was there... Uh, well, the thing is, is that what we had was back in, you know, the latter half of 2022, uh, you had just the kind of the largest Ponzi, you know, called the run, in my opinion, just, this was like, kind of like the nail on the coffin to kind of solidify all the sellers and everyone who just kind of wanted out. Is it FTX? It was obviously, yeah. When FTX had an over $10 billion fraud. And I think it was more than that. It wasn't just the nominal amount of dollars. It was the fact that this guy was like partnering with Tom Brady and Shaq and like all these other guys. And yeah. uh, all of a sudden you just had kind of like a plethora of different celebrity figures and politicians as well. And I think the Democrats, they felt like they got really screwed. <laughs> That's why they've had the first half of this year, had this super, super anti-crypto agenda. 
you know, the SEC was coming after, uh, you know, like Coinbase for illegal securities and all this kind of stuff. But um, that was the last major swing. And right now, like, you know, we're just going through 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 the works of a basic cycle, right? You have like the super aggressive, like everyone's in euphoric and then you have the super depressing phase and you have like kind of like a baseline and you just kind of go through these cycles uh, that are just a metaphor of not only just financial markets, but in life as well. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. So where, where do you think we're at in that cycle right now? I think we're building a base. Okay. I think just like like I said, last year you definitely wiped out. Everyone who didn't want to be to, to own crypto, like they're out. All the guys who bought like a, like a picture of a monkey for $200,000, right? Like if if you are still holding after going from 200000 to let's say 30000 right? You're not selling just because it goes from 30 to 15. Yeah. Right? Like you're in it, you're in it to win it in the long run. So I think that you have all the sellers who actually capitulated last year. And I think now you're actually building a base of buyers. And it's the reason why I think Bitcoin and Ethereum are up around 70 or 80% year to date. So I think the good things are coming. I think we passed the worst. It's definitely not like, you know, sunshine and all that. Still kind of some rocky to be had. It's a rocky rocky road. But I think just like anything, you have to be a buyer when before after euphoria actually it's before uh people come in because that's the only way you make money in this space i'm telling you right now the only way you are going to make money in crypto if you are more active than just a passive bitcoin and ethereum buyer is you buy when everyone is scared but you have to know what you're buying right if you don't know what you're buying you're gambling right. you gotta know you gotta have edge it's a highly inefficient market highly inefficient like I was just telling you, like, you know, back in uh, 2022, even though when there was more liquidity, how inefficient the market was is that there was a big player who would come on Twitter and say, I'm buying 10 billion dollars of Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm buying it. His his address was public, meaning that you could see exactly when he would send money to an exchange, just like you would wire money to TD Ameritrade to buy stocks, right? Right. See that. Right. You get a notification. Aren't you front running that trade? Right. So so just to backtrack. Uh, for those that don't get that concept, on um, is every crypto transaction public? Every crypto transaction. So the the so blockchain. You just explained it, Alexia. So the blockchain is actually like one of his most fascinating uh, inventions. Which I, I this is why I actually think there is fundamental value for it. To this, because it is the only financial ledger that is uh, pretty much decentralized in a sense where you have a conglomerate of people who their incentive is to make sure that these assets and these transactions, and they have a financial incentive to make sure that these transactions are actually valid. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, there's a bunch of different inventions. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I, I think the there's that the, came out of it was blockchain for sure. technology. Yeah. And then there's the fight, the financial part of it. There's the part about making money. Right. Everything else. Do you ever dive into like, uh, you know, certain up and coming or even existing like portfolio companies that you think are just going to knock it out. Yeah. So like also like the VC space kind of had their own little Ponzi scheme as well. Well, yeah, they were just kind of like, you have these kind of, well, first of all, like what they would do is, is that they would have these like ICOs, which is like similar to an IPO, which is an initial public offering of initial coin offering. Right. right? It's like, okay, how do we go public? But the VCs, what they would do is they, I mean, like the founding teams, they would set up in like the Switzerland or Cayman Islands or something like that. And uh, the VCs would go out and invest and they would have uh, pretty much like a SAFT, like a token agreement essentially for like a certain amount of tokens at a set price with lockups. 
but they would just go to market and they're friends with all the market makers and they're pretty much uh you know like you'll buy like you'll be a vc and you'll say okay i'm gonna get that token we're gonna get like i don't know 10 million tokens at five cents uh or hundred million tokens at five cents but they're gonna go to market at like 15 cents and they're gonna make sure there's liquidity just to reacts your money like it's so it's that's 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 i wouldn't say it's completely done but i mean a lot of that got eradicated last year so a lot of uh a lot of the froth got well, eliminated yeah i mean with every you know bad actor and experience and journey like roadblock i think comes that experience and laying the foundation to it so you know i'm excited to see personally i'm not heavily invested in crypto but i think i mean there there should be some allocation to it uh if you know uh, what that allocation obviously depends on your appetite uh i i'm assuming you have a pretty nice allocation in your portfolio too yeah but i think that uh Seriously, I think that, you know, anyone who is actually negligent of, I've never met anyone who has actually studied at least a hundred hours into what, just call it either Bitcoin or Ethereum, let's just take the top two. I've never actually met anyone who's actually studied over a hundred hours and I was not able to have a conversation where they had at least a little bit of allocation. Like the people who say like, like, I can't do this, this is this and this is that, that, no one has done the work. This is all speculation, right? So... Yeah, I mean, I think everyone needs to have a little bit of an allocation because if this is truly a, uh, if you truly have liquidity going into this, you know, new financial world and this technology, the derivative of that is going to be like immense gates. Right. So I guess I mean, if if crypt if Bitcoin's at like a twenty nine k right now, what's Ethereum at? Yeah, it was eighteen fifty. Eighteen fifty. Is that relatively on the lower end for Ethereum? I remember it being in the threes at one point. Ethereum went from like few like few cents back in 2015 in this initial founding, ran up to like 1100 bucks back in 2017, went down to like 100 to 90 at the end of 2018, went up to like 250 <laughs> in mid 2019. COVID came back down to 80 and then exploded to 4,000. 4,000. Yeah. So like, cause you said something, you're like, we're at the, we're at the, uh, you know, base of where it is. So you're, you're overall very bullish. So you think at any of these levels right now, uh, you know, an, an allocation to these coins, maybe something. Absolutely not. I, I, I don't think allocation to any coins like i said this is still like wildly a casino this is like not regulated whatsoever if you don't know what you're doing don't get into this like right. if you don't know what you're doing buy a little bit of bitcoin and ethereum that you're okay with the swings being 50 percent, and just hold it and just kind of wait for a better day because that day will come just based on whatever everything that's going on in the economy but like as far as like oh yeah like this like someone on twitter told me this token is really good there's a bunch of influencers on Twitter that are like pumping up these tokens because they have their own allocation and they're just going to dump it on you. Uh, I definitely do not recommend just passively investing in any kind of token. Like you, you have to know what you're doing. Now is not the time to right. do that for sure. Right. Because you, what you're saying before it was? No. It was never. I think and it's never a time. I don't, I don't think it's ever a good idea to invest in something you don't know about. Right. Right. But I'm just saying that if you're going to invest in crypto, like you need to know what's going on. Right. There is no, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Right. I don't care. Like, you know, you can lose your money. You can go on Telegram and lose your money. 
all these people that are going to come to you and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, we have this new token. It's revolutionary. It's going to, it's an oracle of a blockchain. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, you know, come in our little Telegram group. Hey guys, we're all going to hold. Hold to what? Oh, we're going to hold. This token's trading at 10 bucks. We're all holding to $100. And who are you going to sell it to? You have to have somebody to sell it to, right? Right. It's a little bit interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit nuance. You know, I've been, you know, obviously sitting on putting my accountant hat and, you know, seeing the implementation and institutionalization. Wow, I can't believe I said that right. Of crypto has been, it's it's been crazy because we haven't had something like this in a very long time, like a completely new asset class, essentially. Well, while, you know, from an IRS perspective, crypto is treated as property. Um, but, you know, there's definitely nuances between it and, and they're still continuing to bring new guidance and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, one thing that we were talking about earlier, Brandon, is like, obviously with real estate, there are tax advantages. I mean, we could talk about them for days you're very well versed in them too. Um, you know, it's great. There's something you had mentioned before to me that I didn't think as much about um, in that it's a global asset, right? Crypto. So while you can't necessarily use creative tax strategies for cryptocurrency for like 1030 to 1031, your cryptocurrency or, you know, apply certain depreciations it, is, it doesn't make sense for the crypto um there is a concept of uh you know you being able to uh benefit on the tax position based on where you live is that right 100 absolutely yeah i mean uh you're just like you said like you if you buy a property in texas you are subject to the laws under texas right uh doesn't matter where you're from you can be a foreign investor you can be a california investor you, you are subject to the laws of the state where the property resides. Uh, whereas in crypto, you can make the same transaction. You can buy Bitcoin at the same price as somebody else in Puerto Rico, for example. Yet, if you live in California with federal and state, you're subject to maybe like 50%. Uh, whereas that guy's subject to pretty much zero. Right. So it does have implications. Right. Right. Because, it, because if you change the tax law in Texas, for example, we're using Texas as an example, that changes the aspect ratio and the actual underwriting of the of the property, right? Whereas tax laws around the world are, are different. They're different, right? So you, you you cannot take that into account. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe it's different for uh, American investors because they're they're more reluctant due, due, due to taxes. But I I don't really believe that. I believe there's enough volatility and enough meat on the bone where it's like immaterial. Ultimately, I wouldn't say immaterial, but it's it's okay. Got it. You know what I mean? Like you're buying and selling stocks, you're subject to the same tax rates. Uh, well, it's 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 very interesting because again, going back to real estate, and you have you have that in your back pocket as well. You know, for those who don't know, and I hope you know by this seventh episode of of my podcast that real estate has tremendous benefits when it comes to tax savings, right? Absolutely, depreciation, so many different things to it, and. You know, being able to have both allocations in your portfolio, that's something that you can help with. While you can't 1031 Bitcoin into Ethereum and defer taxes, you can benefit by having that crypto as an asset class and then also supplementing with real estate 
to be able to mitigate the taxable burden coming from like a capital transaction there too. Utterly and absolutely. And I believe that also in real estate, which not a lot of people talk about, is just the incentive structure of leverage. Right. Uh, how you just have such favorable financing for a variety of different products that the banks are also in set. Like the entire world is, is the incentives for real estate to go up, just to be very, very clear. Right. Why? Why, why do you say that? Well, because, That's a big statement, by the way. Yeah. I'll say that again. The incentive of the global financial system is for asset prices to go up. That can be stocks. It can be real estate. Those are the like two largest. Real estate is larger. It's in the 200 trillions worldwide. Mm-hmm. But the incentive structure is to go up. The incentive structure is not to go down. If it goes down, all the banks that have loans are going to be in big trouble. Right. And all the, fi- all the holders are going to be in big trouble. You see, the people who run the financial system, they're owners of all these assets. Right. I don't think crypto yet, but uh, and I don't think they're ever going to have a major allocation. What about BlackRock? What happened with them? Didn't they just come out with something? Yeah, so that's that's like really interesting. It's huge, you know? It's a big move. It's a very big deal. It's it's a very big deal because uh, you you pretty much solidify the asset class. It's done. Like, like the, this is not going around anywhere. In, to, in 2020 or 2021, like you knew if you were in it that Bitcoin is not going Maybe in 2015, 2016, you could make the argument there's a small chance it's going to go to zero. In 2020, 2021, you knew it wasn't going away, but there was still doubt. There was an institutional doubt. Hey, like hedge funds are not going to be able to actually uh, buy this asset class or get into it because of a variety of different custody laws uh, and regulations. Like how do we custody the assets? Like it's not just like shares that you're traded, right? Right. I mean, Paul Twitter Jones, Stanley Druckenmiller, these kind of hedge fund legends pretty much gave the green light. When they when they kind of came out and advocated for it, and now with BlackRock in it, I mean Bitcoin is just solidified. Is there a market cap on that ETF? Like, how, how does that work? like? Is it mean? Is it a meaningful thing right now, or is that just in the works? Uh, they they filed. They filed. Not approved. Today actually, today is August thirteen, mm-hmm. and uh, Kathy Woods of Art, mm-hmm. she actually filed also for a Bitcoin ETF. Got the oh my god. The BlackRock one will probably get delayed just to different uh variety of different reasons. You have to have a special cert like a servicer and the SEC has like this kind of uh this this kind of situation with Coinbase. But essentially, I mean the reason why it was such a big deal is because BlackRock has filed over seven hundred ETFs. Only one has got rejected. The whole premise is is that if they filed an ETF, they know it's gonna get approved. Yeah. Interesting times. When it gets so institutionalized, these big name players get jumping in like that. I mean, right. you know, it's, it's this is this is this is one of the best times to really just get started. Not only in crypto, just in the world. Like you have flushed out all the the jump risk, right? Like when they raise interest rates in the most pre, like predominant state since the nineteen eighties, yeah, late seventies, yeah. I mean, they raised it from back in March. Just just to remember. In March of 2022, the rate, the federal funds rate was zero. That's crazy. Now it's five and a half percent. They raised 550 bips within a year. That's absolutely nuts. And we haven't felt the implications. You can't feel the implications yet. Yeah. People still have to feel it. You know, you still have a lot of liquidity from uh, a lot. There's a lot of dry powder. You got to refinance. Just wait. The guys who finance at three percent now their refi is at seven percent. Yeah. That's coming. It's right. It's right around the corner. So do you think you think there's definitely some turbulence coming? 
I don't think it's as bad as people think because I think the economy is pretty strong. But I do think that like now is such a good, it's, it's a much better time for opportunity than let's just say a few years ago, right? And especially now with AI. Like, I don't know if you saw the statistic. Now with AI, they're predicting it only takes 20 people to actually go and start a company that's building, uh, has a billion dollar AR, annual recurring revenue. 20 people. That's crazy. You don't need all the people anymore. And Elon kind of just showed everyone with the acquisition of Twitter. Yeah, he just fired half of his F count. More than half. <laughs> I don't need it. It's nuts. So this is today's a great time to make money. It's a really great time. Let me tell you something. 40 years ago, you know, our parents needed to actually go open a book, learn something in order to learn the space. You had to go get a job and work for the of everything in the palm of your hands. That's true. The resources you have are far not. Yeah. Most people fortunate. are stupid. Let me tell you something. Most people are fucking stupid. I'll tell you why. Sorry. I don't know if I can no. say whatever. Oh, feel free. To Most people are stupid because if you think about what kind of situation we are in this period of life in human resource, like the past 5,000 years that we've walked this planet, we have never been able to have access to such information. You are instantly smarter. You are a genius because you have your phone. Take the smartest guy from 100 years ago. The smartest guy, Einstein. Yeah. You're smarter than Einstein because you have your phone. Yeah. You're able to calculate, compute, and search for information at a rate and a speed that has never been done before. You can give compendious answers. Like, how are you not taking advantage of that? Right. What are you doing? You're just sitting at home? Right. You have the internet. <laughs> it's crazy. It's nuts. Well, it's also scary, man, because I think with that also comes competition and you need to be yeah you know just just having before you could have access to some knowledge and thing and you could be good in life now it's like well okay everyone has right how do you combat that the world is a highly competitive place yeah you need to be a highly competitive individual absolutely and i i i still truly believe that uh hard work is crucial but it is not only hard work it's actually i don't like it's not it's not Work smart. I've heard some people say like, yeah, you don't have to work hard. You have to work smart. I find it told BS. It's just, it's just a justification for laziness, right? You still need to, you need to work smart. If you, if, it, if money goes, if, if fine, if capital goes to the person who works the hardest, then why is the guy at McDonald's not a billionaire? It's because you have to find, you have to focus on your crap, right? You have to know exactly. You have to be in the center of all the financial transactions and all this capital that's sloshing around. You just got to capture a little bit of it. Yeah. And you got to work hard to do it. But once you do it, like, you know, the, the world is your, is your oyster. I truly believe that. No, I think very, very well said. Work smart and hard. Um, by the way, just so you know, like last I checked, it was like 30,000 cents a millionaires in the, in the world, right? 30,000 individuals or families, probably individuals that are worth over a hundred million dollars, right? Last time I did the math, you need to beat the next 3,000 or 3,500 people next to you in order to become a centimillionaire. So just keep that in mind. That's like how competitive it is. But on the same token, most people are lazy. Most people are content. So put that in perspective. Right. I think anyone can do it. I, like, I have you ever seen a time when somebody genuinely just tried their best at something and they're like, I can't do it? Right? Like somebody goes to the gym. Like, for example, someone's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose weight. Right? Like somebody tells you, now nah, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, right? Okay. 
and they really go and they do their diet. They literally like eating salad, everything you do. Doing have, right. Cutting calories, yeah. going to the gym. Have they ever not done it? It's the same thing. Right. You know, like you got to just, uh, people, people are justifying it. Oh no, I can't do it because of whatever. Well, it's crazy. Everything, your resources are there, right? So the hard work needs to be there, but doing it, working smart also is there for you to know. If you wanted to go open up a book of business in whatever field, you could probably go on a, the next guy's podcast to look at what, you know, what this guy has achieved in this space and be able to replicate it and even implement your own flavor and right. just completely knock it out the park. It's, it's, Absolutely amazing how like information is free. You can get so knowledgeable. I mean, for me, it's not for free. Uh, it's not for free. For me, it's like a twelve dollar a month YouTube premium subscription. But you can't watch that. Yeah, you can't stand. But that. it's twelve dollars a month to know about the entire world. Hey, man, sounds worth it to me. Right. So, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and focus a little bit about on real estate, Brandon. Because uh, you do have tremendous value that I, you know, I'd, we'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of your perspective on what's going on. Um, you know, I want to dumb it down a little bit, if that's okay with you. I, you know, especially for our audience, I wanted to kind of, you know, place ourselves in most of our audience's shoes are just, you know, regular uh, real estate, want to dabble into real estate and kind of get their feet wet. And maybe they have a, maybe they even have a couple properties, but they're kind of really uncertain about the current market conditions. You know, we live in Los Angeles. We can focus on Los Angeles for a second. Where are you seeing deals being done? I mean, obviously there's, there's been a lot of pushback, pullback, you know, I'm struggling with it myself to kind of understand how are you analyzing deals and how are you doing deals? Are you actively making deals right now? Uh, doing deals, but on a much less frequent basis. Right. And why? It's a weird time. Real estate isn't looking at a weird time. This hasn't happened in the last four years, right? Where like, they've just brought up interest rates so much and interest rates is a direct derivative of cap rates, which is a direct derivative of real estate values. So it's a weird time. Like now is the time where you have to just add value. Like there is no like, oh, I'm just going to buy something. And then like, it's going to double, hey. gonna double my money because I bought it at a seven cap, which is a 7% kind of dividend or yield or however you want to call it. And then now because the interest rates, they cut interest rates. So now it's like at 4%. So like I almost doubled my money, uh, assuming that the income has stayed stagnant. I, I don't think you can analyze it like that right now. Right now you got to just kind of take buildings or take properties or take land where you have an edge and you have upside that maybe no one else does, or maybe they do, but you're able, you have the fortitude to actually go and seize the opportunity and actually add value like that. Real estate is great because it's a highly inefficient market. And when I say highly inefficient, I mean that there is just so much gap to fill as far as value. Yeah. If you go look around you, I mean, you look uh, everywhere you go, $3 million building, $4 million building, there's so much value around you. You have all these banks who are willing to lend, lend you such favorable financing on it. You still believe it's favorable. Yeah. I mean, look, it's all relevant. I mean, compared to what? Right. Compared to a few years ago, absolutely not. Right. Right. Banks are lending much less. But a lot of a lot of developers and, and, and folks, even with the current financing conditions, are not finding it valuable there, you know? Yeah, right now is a weird time. It's tough. It's a weird time to build. Right. But the thing is, is that it's not it's not gonna you're always gonna have a situation where like building is gonna be profitable, depending where. Right. Right. Before, I mean, God knows how long office was profitable now. Look at that shit show, like, <laughs> disaster. Yeah. 
pretty. I don't know about disaster actually, because now I'm seeing that like this whole work from home phenomenon is actually only American thing. Did you know that? You think so? Is I that, know so. In Europe, it doesn't happen. It, they don't do that in Europe. I mean, I mean, everyone did it for COVID, but now everyone's back at the office in Europe. Oh, it's the Americans who are like, yeah, I think working from home is a new paradigm. But I mean, we'll see. I don't have any strong insight on it. But yeah, going back to the point, I mean, it really depends. Like, because because you're always going to have a demand for for something, and if it's not a demand for extra space or extra units, it's going to be a demand for changing time, right? Like, we're always changing. I mean, the 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 whole advent of Amazon and like this whole industrial warehouse and this logistic powerhouse that we have now has just fueled industrial space to a whole new radar night. Yeah. So I think real estate will always have value. There was always, there will, there will always be inefficiencies. There will be times that will be easier than before. There are going to be times that are harder, but you got to be in the game because that's when you're going to get, get deals. You can't just come into real estate one day and say, I'm going to go get deals. You got to know people. It's a relationship business. It's a very got to know the broker. They got to know who are you? Who are you? Why are they going to give you the deal? Uh, are you easy to work with? Got to have your edge. You know, what makes you different than anyone else? Everyone has money. Don't think it's just because of the money. Right. Right? Everyone has money. Now. So what makes you different? Right. And I think going back to the original point and going back to the concept of AI and things becoming super efficient and all the resources around you and everything, you got to work hard and you got to work smart and more than ever to be, to take that competitive advantage, even in real estate. So, you know, that's why most people that, that I see, and you tell me if you disagree, is in the real estate space, they have an asset class that they're 100% focused on. Someone is like, I'm an office investor. I'm going to focus on office. And that's the guy that that broker wants to go to because he knows exactly who he is and he's going to be, he knows that, you know, if he puts the right deal in front of him, there's no bullshitting around. Yeah. Um, I'm a multifamily investor, same thing, you know, um, and and it comes with that experience, right? Right. So like just having the resources and going, forgive me, Brandon, but paying $12 a, a month for a subscription for YouTube isn't going to get you there either. You got to be able to have a track record. Right. So if you're going to, you know, and, and now it's like, okay, look at what you have one, two multifamily properties. No, that broker is going to give, you know, build that relationship with someone is someone's probably buying 20, 30, 40. How do you do that? You got to get to in, you got to get into it. You got to transact. You got to work. Right. Yeah. So I, when I say YouTube premium, I'm like, look, like on the other day, so everyone starts somewhere. Shit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm building. Saying, no, no, for sure. But I'm just saying that like, you need to have an edge and if you don't have a track, if the track record is not your edge, where are you going to develop the edge, right? Like, yeah. for example, I can tell you we're in LA. Like, there's a lot of affordable housing incentives, right? Like, you you have billions of dollars coming in here to stop this homeless issue, which will never be stopped because the incentive structure is to keep people homeless so you can have a job. Right. Like, Measure Triple H, for example, I don't know if you know, they raised, like, uh, property taxes slightly. I don't know how many how many bips, but they raised slightly, they raised up, like, a billion dollars. They were predicting 10,000 units to come online. They didn't meet the deadline. It costed them like around $700,000 per unit to build. Wow. I can build for 300,000. That'll be crazy. You can buy. It's so inefficient. You can just buy buildings at $200,000. Why would you do that? Look, you can have an edge. That doesn't require any money. It just requires patience, being smart, being vigilant, being sharp, getting out there, making the right connections. You can make the money. They will lend to you. If you're building affordable housing, I'm telling you there's money out. Yeah. There's always an edge. 
the challenge of affordable housing is uh, just the margins. I think what my conclusion with affordable housing was, uh, you know, if you're going to get into affordable housing, it's just a really, it's it's really a position to just kind of manage your existing net worth and just, you know, slightly grow it versus, you know, really, well, if you're someone that wants to build that generational net worth, it might not be the best strategy. I don't know. What yeah, this, but I highly disagree. Tell me. There, there are companies, there are companies that I, I know I've I've watched throughout the years that started as small companies and through the tax credit programs of the IRS, which is LIHTC, low income housing tax credits, yeah. and project based section eight, right. like from HUD, right, which is the federal subsidy, I mean they've just made hundreds of millions of dollars. And 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 I I know you're saying, okay, so how do you do from the small person right. somewhere? Well look. At the end of the day, real estate is capital intensive, right? If you have $10,000, I mean, yeah. there's not much you can do. I mean, there's no property in a good part of America that you're going to be able to invest $10,000. You know, it's better better yet, go invest that money in yourself. Go wait until you build up $100,000, $200,000 that you're able to go invest and then start talking. Fine. But you know what I mean? I'm just saying that even if you start with a small amount of money relative into real estate, or you kind of save your way up, which is very possible, affordable housing is also another direction. Now, it's a totally different skill set, right? Totally different set of connections, right? But it's possible. You can do it. I've seen it happen. And it's because there is money going to the space. That's yeah. You have government money. I think I think what's happened is that investors are saying to government, if we can't beat them, join them. And so they're just trying to benefit as much as they can of what right. the government has just essentially monopolized and i think they're very smart because yeah. you know you got to just be very nimble and be agile and be uh ready to adapt to any kind of environment you're in if you're in, you're in a situation where market rate multifamily is not working for you because of a variety of different reasons whether it's rent control whether it's cost of capital is too high whether it's your actual building material and your actual hard costs are too high then you're just going to pivot into a different direction where it does make money always pivoting yeah Whoever makes money. Very true. Yeah. You spoke to me before. We were kind of talking about different generations and different eras. And I, I thought it was very, very interesting perspective, specifically when uh, we we're talking about just like your average post-service uh, person uh, that's delivering the mail. Um, you know, in the 70s, they were saying, you you know, there was a, there was a figure right. you were sharing right. with me. Right. So like, I actually got this figure from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I, I just remember like, cause he said, cause it was, it, it, it engraved in my mind. I was like, this is unbelievable. He was saying that when he bought, I think Schwarzenegger, he made a lot of money before he became an actor through real estate. That's surprising enough. He bought his first multifamily building in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that back then his rents were 300 bucks a month in the seventies, early seventies. Right, for rent in Santa Monica for three hundred bucks a month, but the postman, the USPS guy, was making fifteen hundred bucks a month. But now, if you extrapolate that into the future, right now, that means the postman needs to make fifteen thousand dollars a month. There's no postman that makes fifteen thousand. Actually, now maybe I may consider going working. I saw the Teamsters, which is the union, actually struck a deal with UPS, where they're over six figures. So I don't know. Actually, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, something's got to give, Brandon, because, you know, people got to live. And so what's going to happen? You know, it, if salaries don't increase for the cost of living to reflect cost of living, what I mean, what's going to happen? People aren't going to survive. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a terrible time to be on a wage. 
It's a great time to own assets. And there's nothing you can do about that. I don't agree with the system. I think the system's rigged. I think that if you are rich now, it is only easier and more favorable for you to get rich. It was so much easier. I don't care. It was a, it, I can show you the statistics. It was so much easier to go and make money if you started in 1950s or 1960s. And I'll tell you why. Because even back until 30, 40 years ago, your average home in LA was maybe like $100,000. Something like that, maybe a little bit more. But you were making 40 grand a year. Just have to save for a few years. Put 10% down. Buy a home. Right. Possible. You can't do that with a salary today here. Yeah. Right now in LA, most decent house you could find, what, one and a half? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You're making a salary, let's say, average salary yeah. these days, 80K. Right. How long is it going to take for you to be able to buy a home? So, yeah. So, that's that's the thing is that most of the most of the wealth of the world is actually held by the baby boomers. And when that gets passed along, you know, we're going to see what happens. But uh, the whole point is, is that if you do, if you do have assets, that is when it's most favorable. If you want to get rich, you have to get rich by assets, whether yeah. owning a piece of a business, private equity, stocks, crypto, real estate, the whole thing. You got to know within those, which most favorable is favorable to you, but you're not going to do it on, on wages anymore. It just doesn't cut it anymore. I think, uh, you said a couple of things about passing on. I think, you know, estate planning attorneys some of which are my clients are going to have a field day with uh, some of the baby boomers are probably even having it right now. Let's say you're a baby boomer, you have it assigned and you have it done in the estate planning. Essentially, that property goes to probate and it's up to the government to determine what happened to that property. Right. So I'll never understand the, the actual idiots who have so much money, but they just never properly did estate planning. Right. Especially, I mean, if you're young, like I get it, you're not thinking about it, right? Like, but if you're 50s, 60s, 70s, and you haven't done any of your estate planning or put anything in a trust, like, do you do you really trust the government? Like, hold on, hold on, hear this out. Do you really trust the courts here in LA or the superior, like the courts of California, the state courts, to actually go and divide your their, your assets properly? It's pretty crazy. You can't even you can't even run the city. Yeah. How are you supposed to run assets? No, no, I've, I've heard crazy stories coming out of probate. I'm actually going to have uh, one of my buddies, a client of mine, Liron Aliyah. That's a good point. I want to come. I want to invite him to come talk about this because I'm curious what percent of asset holders actually have their assets and trust, like meaningful assets. I'm sure it's very low. Um, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think it's it's as high as you think. Like I think you would expect. I think maybe after a certain net worth, like. But I think that like you'll be surprised how many people were maybe eight figures who just don't have anything planned up. Yeah. You know, and everything is owned as an individual. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Maybe a, a foreshadowing of the next exciting conversation with Elon. I'm excited for that. Let's stick to the present. Uh Mr. Halavi, uh it it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And I, I you know, I'm gonna go down. I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of some of the strategies that you may have used and inform our guests about some of the real estate stuff and, and decision-making that's happening. Because you mentioned something right now, essentially, and what most real estate folks are doing are they're not super active right now. They may do one or two deals here or there, but probably less than what they were doing probably prior to 22. Is that a fair statement or um, it's kind of everywhere? Or what do you think? Or yeah, it's a fair statement. We're just kind of in this, like, like I said, this very weird like point in time, which may definitely not last forever. Right. 
And so as a result, they need to do something with their money. So, I mean, I think the worst thing, the worst possible thing that anybody could do is just park their money in the bank, not generating any interest and essentially losing money through, through inflation. So what are some other stuff that we could be doing, right? Right now I'm seeing, for instance, some pretty high yield pr preferred deposits and savings accounts that I've never seen before, right? 5%, 5.5% uh, of different products. Um, also, obviously, the treasury rates, which seem to be in the media recently. There's some movement going on with a certain like key market makers and within treasury. Uh, we were talking about one recently with uh, which which uh, which hedge fund guy was it that made a big move uh, hedge against the U.S. It was Bill Ackman, right? What did he do recently? He's not a market maker, but he shorted the treasury the thirty year. Okay, meaning he's betting the yield is going to go up. He's betting the yield is going to continue to go up. Right. By the way, this is sorry to interrupt you. Isn't it crazy how, just like you said, that there are, there are people with under $250,000 that will put their money in a checking account and not in a money market account where it's earning 4.5%? Yeah. Like, the bank is making money off your money. Yeah. If you're not going to take something... Yeah. You you have... I mean, if you don't, it's... it's You're, you're literally right. doing yourself a disservice. You're shooting yourself in the... And I say 250000 because that's the FDIC insurance, right? So, like, yeah. if the bank goes under, then, you know, the government will come in and, and insure your money. There's also another set of insurance for, like, treasury investments, right? Uh, no, there's, like, like for example, let's just say you have your money in a brokerage. They have SIPIC. SIPIC. Right, which is yeah, to $500,000, which is, like, if the brokerage goes and does something, like, shady, the government will come in and give you your money. But I mean, actual treasuries, no, the treasuries is a risk-free rate. It's like, are you betting the U.S. government is not going to pay you? If that happens, then you have a lot bigger problems than if you live in the U.S. Yeah. It's it's totally nuts. I, I find it just absolutely, and it, this is why I, like, this is what I'm telling you, is that you're saying, yeah, the world is hyper-competitive, which I agree. The yeah. world is hyper-competitive. But to beat the next 3,000 or 3,500 people in order to be, in order to have a nine-figure net worth, I don't think it's that unattainable. I mean, if you just if you just go on YouTube and just start searching, how does money work? What is a central bank? What are fractional reserves? And you just know your basics. You will never have money just lying around in a checking account. Yeah, like especially a substantial amount of your net worth or your cash. It's crazy. You know, obviously it's apples to apples. There are these great preferred deposit accounts uh, and you know high yield savings accounts that are giving you some stuff. These are all heavily taxed, right? So. Aside from getting tax on interest income as ordinary income, there's also a net in, net investment or net interest income tax component to it. So you got to just make sure that what your net yield is uh, that you're comparing to. Whereas in the treasury, there is a benefit, right? There's a state component that's that no state tax. There's no state tax associated with it. I mean, if you live in Florida or Texas, uh, doesn't really matter. But for us, it matters. <laughs> Right, so you're avo you're avoiding a big uh, state ex state tax ex exposure with treasuries, but you know we always make the argument like why the fuck excuse my French would I go and go through the headache of buying real estate where I could just sit down sit pretty and make five percent on my money right and it's kind of a very dangerous thought to have right because then you just get lazy like back I can tell you I can give you an example back in the 1970s or 1980s at one point interest rates hit twenty percent. Yeah, cappers were 18, 19%. Yeah. Right. Or something like that. Like people didn't have to get out of bed. 
could buy treasuries, make 20% on it and get out of debt. Right. Williams. But that was ironically the best time to buy real estate. Right. right. No one wanted it. And I don't think we're there yet at the point where people have completely gone the alternative route of having treasuries rather than uh, commercial real estate. But I think the market needs to adjust. Given that the rates are going to be here higher for longer. I don't know if you remember, but back in COVID, stock market tanked back in March of 2020. And real estate was okay because it takes time for the market to actually saturate and actually adjust to the new position, right? But everything happens so fast, right? right. March of 2020, COVID, the NBA shut down their, their league and interest rates went to zero in a matter of a month. Right. So you, your real estate didn't have time to process and anything actually, there was the best time. Yeah. Right. Ironically. But uh, now if you're under the assumption that rates are going to be higher for longer, which I am in that camp, right? Unless something drastic and, and, and completely uh, uncalled for happens, then yeah, you're going to have an adjustment. Correction. Doesn't have to be Armageddon. Doesn't have to be a super high leverage position. You know, like, you know, the only two times in the past recent history where real estate has gone through a major severe downturn is one of two things, over leverage or oversupply. Right. And maybe in office we have that, but we don't have that. I know for a fact we don't have that multifamily. We still have a shortage. But there needs to be, there needs to be some sort of correction. So like, if you're buying real estate right now, you can't bank on the fact that, oh, things just only go up. Right. That's not the case. That's not. You, you got to buy it if you know you can add value. And there you go. And there is a million different ways to add value. And and so there's all these comparisons, right? Like just going back to why would I invest in real estate if I could make 5% on right. risk-free on, on a high-yield account of treasuries right. versus you know making a five cap yeah. in a real estate investment. I also invite decision makers to, think about the net yield on that as well. Because with real estate, as you're very aware, there's heavy tax incentives as well. So the net yield on some on, you know, five percent on risk free rate versus the net yield on, you know, real estate needs to be depreciation needs to be considered. Tax breaks you get from real estate needs to be considered. So I mean you just gotta make sure you're doing the right thing. And if you truly get the net of each and look at them, you might find yourself still thinking real estate may be a better move for you. I don't know. Real estate is incredible. Yeah. I can just tell you it's one of the most incredible assets, at least the United States. I mean, like just the way that our country has structured this entire market is so favorable for the investor. Uh, whether it's like financing, whether it's tax incentives, uh, you don't have this anywhere else, right? You don't have a situation where you can just defer gains, defer gains and just pull out leverage from it. And the banks most times are usually very friendly because everyone's said there needs incentivized. There's the word. Yeah. So it's all about incentives. And yeah, I mean, I think that like, unless you're buying like a glorious property next to the Louvre in Paris, right? I think that US real estate, just because of uh, all the benefits that we outlined is just remarkable and incredible. Well, you heard it. You heard it here first. Bullish on real estate too. I don't know about first, but <laughs> definitely one of them too. I love it. Brandon, um, I'm fond of your experience and I want to hear a little bit about it as you, you served in the army at one point, right? Uh, yes. In, uh, with the IDF or, right. right. How long were you there? Two years. Were you in Israel? Did you ever go to Israel before that? Yes. How many times? Twice. Well, that's very cool. To, to the audience here, that Brandon does preach what he does because he's freaking, you're a fucking very hard worker and it's very admirable, Brandon. 
kudos to you, sir. Do you feel like any of your experiences within the army kind of translated into your professional? Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, like it just absolutely and utterly uh, changed my professional life. Did you go before or after college? After college. Oh wow. So right after college, before starting your professional career, college I was about. And like as we all were, yeah, right. But like I was taking naps, wasn't as hardworking, wasn't disciplined. Yeah, I didn't get myself to do anything. I got good grades. I was smart. If I wanted to get something, I would do it. All it was all for me. It was always like that. If I wanted something, I would always have it. But like just to have the discipline to when you don't want it, you don't want to do it. That's when you see tremendous progress, and you better build that. And for me, it was that experience. And what can I say, man? It was. Everything that you could expect. Any cool stories you could share? I mean, there were a bunch of bunch of stories, but I mean, how much you want me to go to? I mean, what is? Oh, you were telling me a story one time about like uh, these, like you know, you in order to be a commander or whatever, there are certain things you got to hit, metrics you got to hit, like what two mile at a certain amount of time or something like that. How does how does it work, like in terms of being able to? Uh, yeah, there are all these kind of like metrics, and then there are minimums and there are standards. Uh, like the the easiest one to explain because I don't want it's like an obstacle path course where you're just kind of you're in full gear, you're running two laps, and you're doing kind of like the monkey bars and you're jumping over a wall and you're kind of trying to emulate a situation where you need to be in combat and actually go and uh, be very mobile, uh, climb up the rope, and depending on how much time you get it done. But the other one is just is, is complete cardio, right? It's like how fast can you run three kilometers? And there are certain minimums you have to meet. What's the fastest you did? I did a twelve twenty four. So like a little over six minutes a mile. Six minutes for a two mile straight. Pretty freaking good. Yeah, I can still do it. You do it, right? Have you done it recently? Three kilometers. I haven't done that one in a long time, but yeah, I still run. All right, Brandon. I think uh, we're right around uh, the end of the uh, podcast. And once again, man, really appreciate you joining. It was fun. Super fun. I hope you uh, come come back soon and join us again pretty soon. And uh we can continue to, you know, get the pulse on everything, you know, crypto and real estate and who knows what venture you're going to be into next. We're excited. Thank you, brother. Take care.